Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Westwood One presents The Polsters. The Polsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So if you guys could see us, you would not believe <laughs> the setup we have. This week we are recording in Kristen's office, which is super cool, but also super echoey. It so is we have not podcast-friendly whatsoever. We have rigged some pretty mediocre rigging. So it's an improvement over sort of natural wild sound here, but it's not quite as unechoey as you may be used to. So we apologize. I, I want to paint a picture for you all. Yes. Since podcasting is a, a, a an, an auditory medium. And since I can't even see you, feel, so you might as well. I cannot even see Margie right now. We are sitting across my desk from each other, and yet each of us has our head inside of a box filled with foam and then we each are wearing like a tent headpiece made out of bubble wrap yeah uh, this is it's extreme and i'm sure for our longtime listeners this still does not sound like it used to i'm kind of embarrassed <laughs> so we're <laughs> the reason why we didn't get an episode last week is we were trying to adapt to this and it just didn't work we taped a whole episode for you all we had Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah, because it was Scaramucci week, yeah. I and mean, we had so much stuff. And that episode will forever live in the unheard archives. Scaramucci who? Scaramucci who? Like what even happened? We yeah. that that happened and went away before we even did another episode. So, all of which is to say, now that we have moved past Scaramucci and we've moved past. Bohemian Rhapsody, which was the perfect song for last week, and not because of Scott and Mooch, Scott and Mooch, will you do the Fandango, but because of the, like, nothing really mad. I mean, it was, gosh, it was so perfect. I'm sorry you all couldn't hear it, but I have just put out a Twitter poll asking people what our song week should be. Let me refresh it one last time before we go. And it looks like, oh, with over 100 votes in just the last minute or two, we have as our song of the week. the sounds horrendous. It's okay. I think <laughs> people get the idea. It's the end of the world. This this is, we look like we're podcasting at the end of the world right now. Like, right. Why are we sitting here with our heads in these boxes when we should be out like, <laughs> protesting? 
it's or the end. at least buying duct tape. This is it's the end of the world as we know it by REM because it is the end of the world as we know it. Possibly, uh, we know that North Korea is getting feisty and Trump is threatening to come back with fire and fury. Um, but we're also going to talk about how Trump's numbers are legitimately pretty bad. Uh, we are looking well below 40%. We'll dive into what is going on there. And I'll talk about why I think Trump's magic number is 24. We'll also talk a little bit about Kasich mania and whether or not Donald Trump is at risk in a Republican primary, should he face one again. Uh, and we will wrap up with a discussion of the fact that I have just discovered I spent my life living in America's beaver belt. Hmm. What that means and more as we dive into uh, geographic uses of data, but also really bad maps. Really bad data viz maps, which I think is going to be a new segment of ours. I know, right? Uh, We can't get enough of those. But first, Gallup has some polling that is near and dear to my heart, which is how do you address bored children? you know, when my kids, when it's rainy and my kids are inside, they can get really crazy. And, um, you know, we had a, 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 like, they get completely out of hand. So we had this play date and it was this incredibly well-behaved French girl. And my children were just, like, complete psychos, like, acting really crazy. And when the mom came to pick daughter up, I'm like, I think I really need, I was outside feeling badly. I'm like, I think I really need to re-read Bringing Up Bay Babe <laughs> based on this play date. And the mom was saying like something to make me feel better that my son comes comes out. Kind of like that older kid in that viral video, the guy who was doing the BBC interview. Like, <laughs> sort of storming out, but like with no clothes on, into the street doing, I think, like a gorilla chicken combo dance. That's like one of his moves. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, I think I have to go. <laughs> my baby gorilla chicken is here. Um, so anyway, I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to get uh, my kids to not be so bored. Polling according to Gallup shows that about a fifth of parents say they strongly agree it's good for children to be bored now and then. Um, the thing about these questions, and then they ask, you know, some other questions like, well, what should you do if kids are bored? Should you just let them figure it out? Should you engage? Should you give them a screen to look at? Um, other questions about if, you know, in an ideal world, what would you like your kids to spend their time doing? And of course, outdoor play, unstructured is at the top, way above things like screens. And so this is, you know, this is interesting. It's not surprising. I think there's a lot of over-reporting here of, you know, oh, it's good for kids to just figure it out. And kids should be outside, you know, throw the door open and tell them to be home in time for dinner. And, you know. But like Paw Patrol on the iPad is a pretty strong move. Right. <laughs> like in case of emergency break glass. <laughs> yeah, there are plenty of emergencies. I mean, the fact you have single digits here for tablets. I'm not saying like tablets are great. I'm just saying that, you know, the response is here. More than 6% of parents, I'm sure, default to... Screws the iPad with Paw Patrol. And that's not bad, parents. I'm not judging you. Yeah. I think that's that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, if if the robot gorilla chicken dance does not work for you, (laughs) it's okay. It's okay to use a tablet. But anyway, so Gallup, I thought, had an interesting, interesting series, interesting article, which we link to, as always, about bored children. I remember when I was growing up in Orlando, the... Uh, one of the things that was kind of fun is my, you know, I'm the oldest of three sisters. And so my mom, she would have to find ways to entertain us, you know, when we'd come home from school. 
Uh, and so we had these like special annual passes to the theme parks because when you're a local, you can get these passes that are super cheap and only let you in the park like after 4 p.m. when the tourists are all gone. And so that's what we would do when she wanted, when she was just like, you kids are driving me nuts. Like we're going to SeaWorld <laughs> and you can just run around SeaWorld and burn off your energy. And I had no idea how weird that was, how right. like, bizarre a childhood I had. Like now I think back and I'm like, that's insane. I mean, good insane, but I just, I didn't realize that that was not normal. Yeah. Now that's a pretty, that's a pretty bold, that's a pretty high level pro move to keep your kids So yeah, go Orlando. The perks of growing up in America. It is not on this list from the Cowboys. <laughs> take, take your kids to a theme park and let them loose. No. No, no, no. Anyway. Speaking of children on the loose. Yes. What to do if you're a bored child. What to do with your bored child who's on vacation in New Jersey and it's raining and they can't play golf. What will they do? What will they do besides uh, get on, on Twitter? No. Uh, so we have um, the latest job approval numbers for President Trump and they're not great. Um, as we noted, Trump's job approval had been pretty stable, but as of the last couple of weeks, it has dipped below 40% with some consistency. Um, as of showtime, the Huffington Post pollster average had Trump's approval at 37%, which is really bad. Really, really, really bad. Um, the worst it's been, um, worse in historical contexts. I mean, it, this is not great. And so CNN, which is now, it appears, doing its polling with SSRS, which that is, if you are, this is like polling inside baseball stuff, but it's the CNN ORC poll, the, CNN has worked with ORC forever, right? Like that's, that is what CNN's poll has always been. Hmm. So the CNN SSRS is like, ooh, they working with someone new. What happened here? Uh... Any tipsters have good gossip, you can always email it to us. Yeah, no, no, but, uh, I don't know. So, the, you know, pollster world, fun thing to notice. But they have, uh, not only is Trump's job approval not great, but enthusiasm is not really working his way. Only 24% of people say they strongly approve. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, listeners. You can hear the sirens outside. That's maybe, all right. We're maybe, not we'll, to... maybe we'll edit this out, but probably we won't. No, I can edit it. <laughs> yeah, at this point, we, you know, it's fine. Um, so when you take a look at Trump's job approval, but according to CNN, we have enthusiasm breaking against him as well. Um, among the disapprovers, you have 47% saying they strongly disapprove, while only 24% strongly approve. His strong approval among Republicans has fallen quite a bit to down to 59%. So bear in mind, I mean, the Republican Party still really, really likes him, um, but that's still not a good place to be overall. The drop in intensity is important because it's a little bit more of a finely calibrated metric when you're trying to see how Republicans are moving. Because this is the thing that everybody is constantly talking about, like, how are Republicans moving? Because Democrats... You know, it, it, there's nowhere else to go. Democrats all very, feel very strongly. Um, so how do you measure any movement among Republicans? And if you look at the overall numbers, overall approval, disapproval, everybody asks a little bit differently. You don't see that much movement. So the consensus has been the conventional wisdom, like, well, you know, hasn't really lost you know, a couple points here or there. It's not really that dramatic. But if you look at that strong approve to go from 73 to 59, I mean, it's not... 
massive, but it is, you know, it's, it's there. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a shift. And if that shift continues and continues across outlets in intensity with his own base, I mean, obviously that's problematic. So I have been connecting dots across polls in the, in this poll, you have this 24% that says they strongly approve of the job president Trump is doing. And you have 24% who say they trust all or most of what they hear in official communications from the white house. Now, an ABC and Washington Post's poll from mid-July, they asked people, do you think that when Trump be, is Trump behaving in a way that is proper and presidential, or is he behaving in a way that is unpresidential? And only 24% of people thought he was behaving in a manner that is fitting and proper of the presidency. And then they asked, do you approve or disapprove of Trump's use of Twitter? And only 24% said they approved there. So this 24% number has popped up in a bunch of different metrics, whether it's strong approve, trust the White House, is he presidential, is his tweeting okay? But if you're asking me where is Trump's floor, I'm pegging it at that 24%. Those are his ride or die. You could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, people. Right. I mean, the other thing, too, that CNN does, and if you go to the full set of tabs and top lines, and they have tracking of Trump, and they also have comparable numbers from previous presidents for some of these metrics, and they asked about uh, how he's doing, you know, whether or not you approve or disapprove how he's handling a variety of issues. You, they also have some other kinds of traits that are more about his leadership style. Um, and it, it's interesting that... He, you know, it's not that every number has dropped, right? So things like his performance on the economy, you know, immigration, not really that different. But there's been a you know a pretty big drop in uh, approval of healthcare policy and foreign affairs, which makes a lot of sense, right? Given given everything that's happened, um, so it, that's showing that voters are responding to you know what he's been doing or what he hasn't been doing. Um, and then on things like managing the government effectively, that's where he's he continues to have to drop a little bit. Honest and trustworthy, not really that different. His numbers have always been pretty mediocre there, and they continue to be pretty mediocre. Um, can bring the kind of change the country needs. He's dropped some there. Um, will unite the country, not divide it. Kind of the same, right? I mean, his numbers are not really that different. Uh, but there's no, there isn't really any good news here. He hasn't improved by any metric. No, but it's just, you know, the best he's got in the CNN poll is holding steady. But the, I mean, the thing that you can really see here is the anchor that has pulled his numbers down is healthcare. Because on the economy, his numbers are not great. Um, 45% approve, 47% disapprove of how he's doing on the economy. It's his first time being underwater there, but very minimally underwater. And it's not a huge change from. Uh, April. On national security, he is 48% approved, 47% disapproved. Not a huge change from where he was in April. So on the two biggest issues uh, to voters, he's still doing okay. But on health care, you have seen a huge drop to where, you know, with only 31% approving and 62% disapproving. Um, that's a drop of five points in his approval since April. It's a drop, uh, it's an even bigger drop from March and from when he first took office. So that, I think, the failure of the repeal Obamacare movement has has helped to weigh this down. Because his, in addition to him not doing well on any of these personality metrics, right. he, never, he never really did well on those personality metrics to begin with. Right. He didn't, he didn't do well on election he day. Was never, yeah. Someone you are proud to have as president, that number is bad, but it's also identical to where it was in December of 2015. Um 
So, you know, so um, it's, I think if you're looking for what's the thing that has changed in addition to his overall approval numbers, it's the healthcare stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, then they ask some other questions here. Have Trump's statements and actions since taking office made you more confident or less confident in his ability to serve? And more people say less confident now than in January. I mean, he's, you know, the the sum total of all of this is a, a, a lowering of not just his approval ratings, not just the intensity of his disapproval ratings, but uh, also how people feel about just the basic confidence that he's going to be okay, that he's going to do a good job. Um, the numbers are bad. I mean, obviously, there's other polls that have also shown drops and new lows in his approval rating. So it's not just the CNN poll. We spoke about this in the, you know, last week or this came out last week where uh, Charles Franklin did a uh, graphs of all the different outlets and how they were showing the approval rating of Trump. And there was no outlet that showed an improvement. At best, again, was status quo, no change over time, but every, but most outlets showed him dropping by a lot. And so the CNN poll is, is part of that trend. So in addition to Trump's numbers looking less than great nationally, uh, another big story that came out in the last week has been the leak of the transcripts of President Trump speaking to foreign leaders. And at one point in one of these transcripts, which, uh, was kind of surprising, and I, I have to say I'm not thrilled that they're public, uh, but nonetheless, he was talking at one point about New Hampshire, claiming that he won New Hampshire because it is a, his words, drug-infested den, which is, you know, sort of horrible insult, especially considering that New Hampshire is one of the many states that is dealing with an opioid crisis right now. Um, so as a result, pollster ARG, ARG, Uh, One of the pollsters that came very, very close in the 2016 Republican primary in New Hampshire did a poll of likely New Hampshire GOP primary voters and asked in a hypothetical 2020 primary, who would you vote for, John Kasich or Donald Trump, if John Kasich were to primary him. And this poll shows 52% of New Hampshire GOP primary voters picking Kasich, while only 40% choose Trump and 8% were undecided. Um, when the matchup is Kasich versus Pence, 41% choose Kasich, while 26% choose Pence, and 32% are undecided. Um, 76% of those surveyed disagreed with the president's assessment that the state was, quote, a drug-infested den, uh, and his job approval was 44%. Now, do we know, I assume, that the ballot was asked before the drug-infested den question I'm assuming. I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they would. Because that would be insanely not not great methodology. um, Right, or to paraphrase Trump today uh, when he was talking about uh, opioid addiction, that, oh, we just need to tell kids this is no good, bad thing to do. Yeah. And Uh his very eloquent Great, I have the best words way of doing it. Uh, so I wish I still had my D.A.R.E. t-shirt from the 90s when that was the strategy, was to <laughs> tell us that drugs weren't good. And yet there are still uh, a significant number of millennials who are very affected by this opioid crisis as well. So 
not that I don't love my dare shirt, but just telling people drugs are bad um, may not be enough. He, he showed a stunning lack of nuance and compassion in all of these statements. And is, what's interesting about this poll is that it's also the same week that you had this story in the New York Times about Pence and what Pence has been doing behind the scenes um, to prepare for a potential situation where Trump is not able. Pence or... is all chaos is a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, that's a Game of Thrones reference. <laughs> not able to, you know, if, should there be a situation where Trump is not running for office for some reason in 2020? Um, and then Pence's response. And so that was a, a large bit of news before we got to this North Korea uh, situation for the last 24 hours or so. So the fact that this Kasich poll or a poll that mentions Kasich comes out around the same time is fascinating because, look, obviously Democrats, there are lots and lots of Democrats thinking, looking in the mirror, thinking about running for office. I, I've heard about two in the last week that I hadn't even really thought were on the list that are apparently on the list. So, I mean, there are just people out there all over the place. Um, but it's stunning that six months in, there are two Republicans, and I'm sure more, with some kind of public conversation about what their plan is for running for 2020. It's now, amazing. I saw a lot of pushback on Twitter from uh, Trump pollsters, including friends of the show, Tony Fabrizio and Adam Geller, who we actually haven't had Adam on the show. We yeah. should totally get him on. He's he's lovely. Um, but there, was a, there was a lot of pushback, and I think justifiable pushback, um, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm clearly not a huge I'm not a cheerleader for the president, as as you can tell. By the way, which may that's come as a news, surprise to our listeners. That's news to someone who left us a review recently who said we were Trump apologists, which is kind of weird, but okay. All right. Really? Yes, yes. Really? Yeah, I know. I know. And I know. So you guys have to write reviews because obviously we're not Trump Holy apologists. Moses. Yeah. Wow. And then imagine imagine what we'd sound like if we were not if we were Oh, geez. Yeah, I know, right? Okay. Anyway, well, continue. Uh, Second day, sorry. Wow, that, that is some hashtag fake news. Okay, so we, nonetheless, they were tweeting that, that this is not, this is not a credible assessment of the political situation. Now, their tweets, I did not see any pushback on the specific methodology. What I did see was um, Adam Geller saying, look, we know, or we we think there was social desirability bias involved when Trump's poll numbers took a hit around the Access Hollywood stuff. That it wasn't people changing their minds about him. It was just people were less interested in picking up the phone and saying they were voting for him because it felt icky to do that around that time. And that now with things feeling like they're kind of chaotic, it may feel icky again to tell a pollster that you support Trump. So, and we don't know how this poll was done because New Hampshire independents can vote in either primary, so that makes it hard to predict. And we don't know who they spoke to here. Um, and if that, but if, you know, honestly, I'm sorry, I don't know if that matters that much. We're talking about the sitting president just barely in in a Republican primary in New Hampshire. Yeah, it, these are these are blockbuster numbers, but at the same time, I am a pretty consistent believer that you should never panic over any one poll. That you wait for more data. I mean, I I don't know how many more people are going to be doing New Hampshire polls. Maybe there will be a flood of them because people are like, "Ooh, this is kind of interesting," but. I am sympathetic to the idea that any numbers you look at that you're like, whoa, that's, that is out there, that you should 
wait for further data before like believing that it is the gospel truth. I'm not, and I'm not saying this because I'm a Trump apologist. That's per, yeah, but that's I am perfectly. <laughs> no, that's perfectly reasonable. That's perfectly reasonable. I I gotta believe, though. This is you know, if you certainly, if you're the president's team, don't want to see these numbers. That's for sure. All right, listener. Sorry, I've got to shift my bubble wrap again. <laughs> I hope I didn't just blow out the speakers in your car. <laughs> we look like we're trying. We're trying to do some. Um, like our show from like outside, like in the mud, in some kind of like rainstorm. Yeah, like this is like planet Earth, except <laughs> it's the pollsters and we're in an office. <laughs> we're in, I'm in Old Town, I'm in the shine. natural habitat of Republican pollsters. <laughs> no, we, so we, uh, we're at the new office and we've just been ordering a lot of, you know, new furniture for our digs. And so there's a huge cardboard box out there that like is the size of a refrigerator that a sofa came in today. And we, we should be taping our episode in that box. Right, like just like when I was in the closet for, yeah. during my maternity break. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, honestly, it would probably have been, it would have been just as ridiculous as this, but I wonder if we would have had better sound quality. Uh, but we'll save the box, and then if we'll next the week, box. if this episode really sounds horrible, we can. Well, we can make a little sign on it that says, box. Margie and Kristen's sound booth. <laughs> 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 okay, so the... Although, you know what, Margie, next week we might not even be here to take an episode. You know, not to get super dark about things. So for our Twitter poll, the, the songs that I suggested people could choose from were R.E.M.'s End of the World, Trogdor the Burninator, or 99 Red Balloons, all of which involve burning or nuclear weapons or the apocalypse. I had literally no idea that 99 Red Balloons... I mean, I was completely shocked when you texted me that, because that is... Like, probably, like, top three favorite song that my children like to dance to. And it's not that I spent a lot of time listening to the words, but it never even... I mean, I've known that song... I mean, that song's been around for a million years. It has never even occurred to me that that's, that, that song is about nuclear war. I learned something... Uh, you, like, shocked me. Completely rocked my world with that new piece of information. I wonder, today. listeners, if you... It, it, Tweet at us if if I have misinterpreted this. But so my I used to be in a cover band and we would cover ninety nine red balloons. It was like one of my favorite songs to perform. But the lyrics are all essentially it's like they let red balloons go up in the sky and this like triggers the military to think it's an incoming nuke and they scramble the jets and everybody's in a panic and like what do we do? So it's kind of it's it's dark. It's yeah, dark. I just googled it. It's an anti war protest song. So there you go. And then You're Trogdor right. the Burninator is more like if you saw Game of Thrones this week, uh, which it seems the president did because he talked about raining fire and fury down, and this was an episode that involved a lot of fire and fury. Um, I'm not going to say any more because I don't want to spoil it if any of our listeners have not caught up, but uh, Trogdor is, came in third out of the three. So we had a close run between REM and 99 Red Balloons. Okay, anyhow, let's talk about polling and North Korea, which there is not any fresh, fresh, fresh polling. Um, it's from early August, but not since the... Fire and Fury, not since that we're going to yes. be Guam, all that stuff. Right. Um, but CBS News, which this is interesting. Is this CBS News and SSRS? It's like everybody, everybody BFF with SSRS now. Is that too many acronyms? Um, CBS News asked, is North Korea development of weapons a threat that can be contained, a threat requiring military action now, or not a threat at all? 
60% think it is a threat that can be contained. 29% think it is a threat requiring military action now. And 7% say it is not a threat at all. Now, here's the... Uh, we did a, a segment on this show, it must have been like two years ago, about the Iran nuclear deal. Yes. Where there was a... I think the University of Maryland did a study where they asked people what they thought about the Iran nuclear deal. And honestly, even people that are serious experts in foreign policy all have dramatically different views on it. So the average American, you can imagine, you know, what what the heck... Not that voters are dumb, but these are things that people are insanely have an insane amount of expertise on. And, and it's not choice. a topic, you know, you can dip your toe in once in a while. And yeah, like there, no, nobody out there has some great magical secret to how you fix the North Korea thing. Um, and we can just test your voters support or oppose it, right? So, you know, it's easy, I think, for voters to say, oh, well, this North Korea thing, this should be easily solvable. We can contain this. This is something we can fix because Americans like thinking we can fix everything. Um Again, not being a foreign policy scholar, every foreign policy scholar I've ever listened to on this pretty much has the, like, there is no good answer. There are no good options. Um, and it doesn't seem like there are no good options is <laughs> something that people are pulled on. Do you believe that there are really just no good options in North Korea? I, I mean, it is interesting, though, that the, that the questions on North Korea, and we've seen other questions in North Korea, too, like how serious of a threat do you think the country is? You know, that's been in Pew, and that's one of the places where you see real bipartisan agreement that it's a stronger threat than, than some of the other threats that, that, um, that people discuss and that we worry about. But you can see here there's not a lot of specificity to the questions, and... That's because you're, you're really just asking, you're trying to gauge people's perception, their worry about it as a crisis, as a threat, rather than addressing some kind of specific plan of action. So there are two questions in the CBS poll. One is, do you think it's a threat that can be contained or it's a threat requiring military action now or not at all a threat? And there, a majority say it's a threat that can be contained and then they asked another question. This is really about Trump, and it's really just becomes a measurement of Trump and how you view Trump. Um, how do you feel about Trump's ability to handle North Korea's nuclear situation, confident or uneasy? And a majority there say uneasy with a, a predictable party divide. Although I mean, this a quarter looks, of Republicans almost say that they're uneasy. It, but it looks pretty similar to his approval ratings. Right? I mean, it's right. slightly lower among Republicans. But this maps pretty closely on what a crosstab of his just overall job approval looks like. Right, right. You're not going to have a lot of people who disapprove of him who feel confident. And you'll have some, but not that many people who approve of him who are also uneasy. I mean, if, you know, because the question is framed about his ability, I suppose you could say, well, I don't feel confident about anybody's ability to handle it, I suppose. But... It, it, it's hard to really cross lines here, given the structure of the question. But regardless, the, the questions are about, you know, more about just the, the threat as a, as a concept rather than something specific. We'll see how that changes now that Trump tweets this Twitter war um, that has been very alarming and has really made people very uneasy here in Washington and in a lot of places. I mean, people have been very, you know really getting very personally uneasy and scared. And so we'll see if the next round of questions about this next week will capture some of that. And it'll probably still be about how fearful people feel, how likely or imminent do they feel some sort of military conflict is.
So another big controversy this week, which had nothing to do with the president, um, so we're moving, pivoting away from Trump, um, was the controversy over a posting on an internal message board at Google um, by a, a male software engineer, which is a rather long uh, and, in my view, uh, at times ham-fisted uh, attempt to explain why there might be fewer women than men in the field of software engineering and what Google could do to change its diversity programming to be more accommodating to women and sort of leaned on some some stereotypes as well as some some research that has in some ways backed up some stereotypes. But anyhow, it was it was this massive controversy and the, the guy has been fired and it is now led to this firestorm over free speech and what can you say when you're an employee somewhere and what stereotypes do exist about women in tech and was this guy completely nuts and was what he said, you know, offensive to his colleagues. Um, so was we, it wise, you know, was it wise, was it wise? Um, so we have pulled together some interesting data on women in the tech world. So, so before, you, before we do that, I just want to say my favorite piece on this was the, the Twitter wit, sweet meteor of death. Right? Who oh, <laughs> said we should totally have on the show, whoever he or she is. Um, said it was I keep that, thinking that it's Patrick Ruffini, and, but like he will not. <laughs> he says it's not him. Does anybody know? Has somebody the call is coming thing? from inside the echelon office? <laughs> no, he swears it's not him. I'm not. Has sure. anybody has anybody come clean and said it's it's me? I don't it know. Me? Smod, if you're out there listening, let us know. So Smod said, with our last date hours on Earth, we should, you know, we should do what we all love best, which is arguing about gender differences online with strangers. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought, okay, that basically sums up how I feel about this at this current moment. But anyway, yes, yeah, so let's go back. We have a couple, three so, different recent polls. Well, yeah, and so this was a topic that has been on my mind prior to this whole Google kerfluffle um, because I, I got to go to this uh, robotics competition a few weeks ago where you had the all-girls team from Afghanistan. and So I wrote my whole column about why it is very important to make sure that young girls are encouraged to enter STEM fields, and not just any STEM field, but specifically computer science and engineering because if our economy is one day going to be run by robots, we would sure like to make sure that 100% of the population feels invited to participate in the construction of those robots. Um, and there was an interesting, a, a really fascinating uh, finding um, in the, well, one, it was the Global Gender Gap Report from the Davos World Economic Forum in 2016. Um, they found that there were 30% of young men worldwide in post-secondary schools who get a STEM degree, and then only 16% of young women um, and the, I think the finding that was the that stuck out to me when I was writing the column was also that the National Center for Education Statistics, um, they have this comparative data where they ask eighth graders in different countries um, the questions like, "Do you say, would you say yes or no to this? To I like science?" Um, and you had statistically significant gender differences in the U.S., Australia, Italy, and the U.K. with more young men than young women saying "I like science," um, but there was no gender gap in Saudi Arabia. And there was actually a gender gap in a positive for women direction in Turkey with more young women than young men saying they liked science. And this came to mind because a friend of the show, Sunny Bunch, was tweeting a bit yesterday about this kind of like odd dynamic where actually societies that have more 
overall gender equality can sometimes then also have less gender equality in some of these engineering fields, which I think is is kind of a fascinating and unexpected finding. Yeah, um, it's such a complicated issue. And the one study that I found or just came in my feed this morning that really upset me is, it looks like it's something out of science, it was in Science Journal, but there was a, there was a write-up also in Fortune that as young as six years old, um, girls were significantly less likely to um, to identify the kid who they see as smart as a woman, right? So giving pictures, sort of like, I, I forget the, the name of the person who did uh, an experiment, very famous experiment in the 50s where they asked um, children of different races to pick the doll that they saw it was beautiful and people would, you know, kids would pick at very young ages, kids would pick the white doll. That was seen as, you know, that was a very landmark study. So this is kind of a comparable thing where they asked boys and girls, okay, someone is brilliant and, um, you know, who do you think out of these pictures is the person who can be described as brilliant? And, and by the, not at age five, but by age six and seven, girls and boys would pick the boy, uh, the man in the photo, as, um, as the person who best described as brilliant, which is just a terrible thing. I mean, these things can really creep in that you don't really realize through books and behavior and casual remarks and, you know, the way, you know, implicit bias, um, and let alone how people feel in the workforce when they're in their 20s and 30s, right? Where then things become more calcified. So this is pretty, this is pretty problematic and troubling. And there's a study by the, I'm going to mispronounce this, Kapoor Center? Kapoor Center? I'm, I'm certain I am botching the pronunciation. Probably one um, of those two. One of those two. I have 50% chance of getting it right. Um, they did a study of 200 U.S. adults who have left a job in a technology-related industry within the last three years. And the top two reasons why women said they left tech occupations were either to seek a better opportunity, 33%, that's totally understandable, or 32% said to leave unfair environments. Um, and that for women of color, 36% said unfairness was their reason for leaving. That was the top reason. Um, while white or, and I guess this this study does not consider Asian women to be women of color, which I, I, I guess that's, people define this in different ways. Um, but they said for white and or Asian American women, they were less likely to leave because of unfairness than were what this study classifies as women of color. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, you know, because this is a self-report of perceptions of bias, and some of these answer categories are, are pretty broad, like, you know, unfairness, for example, um, is something that's, you know, or leaving for a better opportunity or an unfair environment. Um, but we've seen this in other workplace studies before, that this perception that, you know, women are leaving jobs because there isn't a childcare center on, on campus or they can't take flex hours or what have you, that, you know, it, it's, it's not so simple. Those kinds of gender specific things that women want out of a job that women disproportionately may want out of a job don't end up always rising to the top of these studies so that women often, you know, will, will for sure, perceived bias, but also want some of the same things that everybody else wants, which is, you know, a better opportunity, you know, better pay and, you know, and, and being valued for the job that they do. 
What is interesting is that this study was not just a study of women. Um, they also asked questions of men. And um, they said, in your previous job, have you did you experience any of the following? Were you stereotyped? Were you passed over for promotion? Did you receive unwanted sexual attention? Um, and women were slightly more likely than men to report all of these things. Um, but not by perhaps as much as you would think, that just over 15% of men and it looks like only about 2 or 3% more among women said that they were stereotyped in their previous job. Um, women a little more likely to say they were passed over for promotion and a little more likely to say they had received unwanted uh, sexual attention. All of these things much more pronounced when you look specifically at women of color. Right, for sure. And, you know, I I think, I mean, it's hard because you're trying to capture so many different kinds of experiences here, but I don't know how I feel about the word stereotyped as a thing here because that's well one it's so pejorative right that people may underreport some other kind of unfairness or bias that they feel right and two there are other kinds of ways you might define stereotype like oh, people just assumed I was only good at x when really I was also good at y that's a stereotype even if it's we're not talking about a racial or gender-based stereotype so but anyway these, right. these, in, in the way that I remember there was a, a really good interview that Kellyanne Conway did a few months ago where she was talking about her life in the polling world and about how she would find often on projects uh, if she was paired up with a male pollster and one pollster was going to do the survey, the data quantitative piece, and they needed one pollster to do the focus groups, that they would often try to say, oh, well, Kellyanne, you do the focus groups. You do the qualitative because that is more like, stereotypically, you know, it's verbal, it's relationships, it's talking right. to people, it's fuzzier rather than, you know, hard math and science that polling is. And so, it, you know, it is gender stereotypes to push, okay, well, we'll have the woman pollster do the fuzzy focus group stuff and we'll have the man do the data stuff. And I just, it was... I have seen and experienced that before. Uh, and so when I read that she had experienced that before, I was like, huh, okay. It's not just, it's, this is just the thing that happens in our industry sometimes. Right. Um, right. But you're right. I don't know if I would classify that as being stereotyped overtly because I don't even know that I really thought of it as like more than just a, huh, that's kind of weird until I read that Kellyanne interview. I was like, oh, this happens to other people. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Right, right. So, you know, these things are complicated, right? So it, it takes quite a bit of nuance, extensive questioning to really get a handle. And even then, people are reporting their experiences, which is perception's real, you know, perception is a reality here, too. Um, I'm sure that some of the people who have work colleagues of these folks may say, hey, I didn't mean to stereotype or pass that person over for promotion or X, Y, and Z, but it's still, it's still important to capture. So last but not least, we have our closing section, which is always fun. And this week, I want to talk a little bit about some stuff the New York Times did about music fandom. So they took the artists in the Billboard Top 100 this spring. They looked at the 50 that were most watched on YouTube and showed the relative popularity of each of these artists and where their YouTube uh, videos were most watched um, across the country. And so you have uh, Future, mostly watched in the Southeast. Um, you have Rihanna, also mostly watched in the Southeast, but with a very heavy concentration in Louisiana and Mississippi. 
Uh, Rihanna then also sort of stretches up all the way through uh, Baltimore up to the northeast. Bieber, and a big and a big Vegas, a big Vegas. Section. Big big in Vegas. Um, you have Bieber, very big in Vegas as well. You also have very weird little splotches of Bieberdom in Orlando, Florida, Central Florida. And there's a splotch of Bieberdom right over Washington. Is that because people, if you're in Orlando, right? It's in Orlando, like sort of boy band, boy singer capital of the world. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Which when we get to the failures of this map of, uh, trust me, we'll get there in a second. I'll, I'll get to do my Orlando <laughs> rant momentarily. Um, The Chainsmokers, not actually popular in the Southeast or South at all, very heavily concentrated in the Northeast um, and out West. Beyonce, very heavily concentrated in the Southeast. Um, Eminem, very heavily concentrated in the, like, Plains North. Yeah. Like, Like Beyonce and Eminem have completely opposite... Eminem and Beyonce have the exact opposite map of one another. That is correct. Yes. So um, Eminem is, you know, seems to be most popular in more disproportionately white areas. Michael Jackson is fairly evenly distributed, slightly heavier on the just warmer areas. Not southeast or southwest, just sort of the further south you go, the more likely you are to end up in Michael Jackson territory. Yeah, I know it's interesting. Michael Jackson and Lady Gaga's map is kind of similar where there are these like splotches where all the different metro areas are that you don't see for some of the other big artists. And Lady Gaga's map looked kind of similar, but then this like heavy, heavy Vegas, heavy Vegas concentration. So this then leads us to what I would like to call this week in bad maps. There's a map, I I think we need to start doing this every week. There's a map that I saw on Twitter that was getting shared around, which purported to show the best-selling musical artist that was born in each state of the Union. So for North Dakota, we have Wiz Khalifa. For Minnesota, we have Prince. For Michigan, we have Madonna. For New York State, we have Mariah Carey. For Pennsylvania, we have Taylor Swift. None of these are particularly objectionable. Um, But then you get to Florida. And the Backstreet Boys are listed as the band that was born in Florida that has been the biggest selling. And here's the deal. Do we count the Backstreet Boys as being born in Florida because two out of their five members were born in Florida? Yeah. Because Howie was born in Orlando and AJ was born in South Florida. But the rest of them, I mean, you could just as easily make the case that the Backstreet Boys were born in Kentucky. Hmm. Because that's where uh, Kevin and his cousin Brian were born. And then Nick Carter was born, like, in New York State, near Buffalo, near, like, Erie, Pennsylvania. So this idea of the Backstreet Boys being born in Florida is a little silly. You know, I'm still... uh, What upsets me about this chart is that Kenny G is the best-selling artist born in Seattle. I'm born in Washington State, and there's no... As opposed to any of the... Grunge, grunge folks. Yeah, it's there's a, no grunge person who's the best-selling artist from Washington State. It's Kenny G. Well, because where, right? where was? Let me Google this. Where was Kurt Cobain born? And also, how do you say where a band was born? You know, because there, this is. Uh, well, you know, he was born in Aberdeen, Washington. So yeah. I don't know. I, this is one of those like we could dissect this map all day long, but this is. I filed this under. Politifact, pants on fire, <laughs> this week in bad maps. 
<laughs> only less than 50% of Backstreet Boys were born in Florida. Check your math, guys. Check but your math. if you want to be on this map, there are some states in the middle of the country where it would be good to be born. So if you want to have your child be on a future iteration of this map, then maybe you want to move to Nebraska because you can... Un- uh, Wait, why, why is the hate, where's the hate for Mannheim Steamroller coming from? <laughs> Come on, Margie. That's some great, like, Christmas power ballad. I don't know. It's just not, it's not, you know, it's not my cup of tea, I guess. Um, you know, but don't move to Tennessee because that's where Tina Turner is and you don't want to mess with her. So, okay. What did we learn this week? So, keep finding. nothing boring about the polls this week, although I'm with Gallup respondents. Boring might be good. Um, however you feel about diversity, please don't teach your five-year-olds that men are smarter. Um, and in my short time left on earth, I'm going to spend a little more time reading song lyrics and studying top 40 music. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters individually at at Margie O'Meara and at K Soltis Anderson. You can find us on Facebook where throughout the week we'll post links to the stories that we think are fascinating. In addition, you can find us at www.thepolsters.com, where we also have a link to all of the great polling resources that we think are out there. Make sure that you write a review. If you really think we're Trump apologists, I mean, you can tweet at us why you think that. I'm genuinely curious. But especially if you have a nice review, we would love to hear yes. that. Love yes. to hear that. Yes, you don't want that person's review at the top. That makes yeah, sense. help us listeners. Help us help us get rid of this hashtag fake news review yeah. that we've got going on. Yep, totally. Um, and hopefully we will be able to get our audio <laughs> situation. We're going to have all kinds of announcements. I'm going to be out the last week of August. Kristen's going to be out at um, least a week or two in September. We're going to have big announcements coming up, so stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed. Bye, guys. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.